European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 47, Focus Issue, Ischemic Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Arrhythmia's Associated Risk, from Cardiac Arrest to Stroke and Dementia. This focus issue on arrhythmias opens with a fast-track clinical research article entitled Catheter Ablation versus thoracoscopic surgical ablation in long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation, CASA AF randomized control trial, by Shuvik Halder and colleagues from the Royal Brompton and Harefield NHS Foundation Trust in London, United Kingdom. Recent prevalence estimates suggest that at least 33 million persons are affected by atrial fibrillation, or AF. Catheter ablation is increasingly offered to relieve AF-related symptoms, based on evidence illustrating the efficacy compared with antiarrhythmic drug therapy. There's less evidence supporting AF ablation in persistent AF, although small studies suggest better maintenance of sinus rhythm. The authors of the current study note that thoracoscopic surgery ablation has shown promising efficacy in AF. This multicenter randomized control trial tested whether surgical ablation was superior to catheter ablation as the first interventional strategy in de novo long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation. The authors randomized 120 patients to surgical or catheter ablation. All patients underwent implantable loop recorder insertion. Primary outcome was freedom from AF stroke atrial tachycardia greater than or equal to 30 seconds without antiarrhythmic drugs at 12 months. The rate of the primary outcome was similar, 26% of patients treated with surgical ablation versus 28% in those treated with catheter ablation. The rates of procedure-related serious adverse events within 30 days of intervention also were similar in the two groups, 15% versus 10% respectively. Surgical ablation was more expensive and provided fewer QALYs compared to catheter ablation. The authors conclude that thoracoscopic surgery ablation is not superior to catheter ablation in treating long-standing persistent atrial fibrillation. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Lucas Boersma from the St. Antonius Hospital in Nuegen in the Netherlands. Boersma notes that from the current study, it would appear that surgical ablation in its present form is not ready to become first-line therapy, given the fact that catheter ablation is easier and readily available just as efficacious, safe, less invasive, and cheaper. Nevertheless, he believes that with novel tools, stronger energy sources, and enhanced imaging of individual AF pathophysiology, many different combinations will have to be tested in sufficiently large trials to come up with a strategy that always wins. Accumulating evidence shows that atrial fibrillation is associated with increased risk of dementia, Catheter ablation for AF prolongs the duration of sinus rhythm, thereby improving the quality of life, and may theoretically reduce the risk of dementia. In a clinical research manuscript entitled The Risk of Dementia After Catheter Ablation for Atrial Fibrillation, a nationwide cohort study, Dehun Kim and colleagues from the Yonsei University College of Medicine in Seoul, Republic of China, investigated the association of catheter ablation for AF with the occurrence of dementia. 
using the Korean National Health Insurance Service database, among 194,928 adults with AF treated with ablation or medical therapy, antiarrhythmic or rape-controlled drugs, between the 1st of January 2005 and the 31st of December 2015, the author studied about 9,000 patients undergoing ablation and about 18,000 patients managed with medical therapy. The time at risk was counted from the first medical therapy and ablation was analysed as a time-varying exposure. Propensity score matching was used to correct for differences between the groups. During a median follow-up of 52 months, compared to patients with medical therapy, ablated patients showed significantly lower incidence and risk of overall dementia, 8.1 and 5.6 per 1,000 person years respectively, hazard ratio 0.73. The associations between ablation and dementia risk were consistently observed after additionally censoring for incidence stroke, hazard ratio 0.76. Ablation was associated with lower risks of dementia subtypes, including Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. The authors conclude that in this nationwide cohort of AF patients treated with catheter ablation or medical therapy, ablation was associated with decreased dementia risk. This relationship was evident after censoring for stroke and adjusting for clinical confounders. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by John Cam from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. The author notes that the study does provide more evidence, leading us a step closer to discovering whether AF provokes dementia and that it's not a chance association. However, it provides only limited circumstantial evidence that the rhythm itself is responsible for the cognitive impairment and that eliminating the arrhythmia by left atrial ablation will delay or reduce the likelihood of dementia. The author concludes that we may be closer to the answer, but we're not at the finishing post yet. Anticoagulation is an established approach to prevent intervascular clot formation. Unfortunately, whenever we inhibit platelets and or the coagulation cascade, we not only reduce the risk of thrombosis formation, but also increase the risk of bleeding. Although compared with vitamin K antagonists, novel oral anticoagulants, or NOACs, are an important step forward. This is still no free lunch, in particular in patients with AF undergoing coronary stent implantation. In a clinical research article entitled, Edoxaban in Atrial Fibrillation Patients with Percutaneous Coronary Intervention by Acute or Chronic Coronary Syndrome Presentation, a pre-specified analysis of the Entrust AF PCI trial. Pascal Franks from the Hasselt University in Belgium and colleagues present a pre-specified sub-analysis of the Entrust AF PCI trial in which participants were randomly assigned one-to-one -to, -one to a doxaban or vitamin K antagonist or VKA-based strategy following percutaneous coronary intervention or PCI in patients with AF. Participants received adoxaban 60 mg once daily plus a P2Y12 inhibitor for 12 months, or VKA combined with a P2Y12 inhibitor and aspirin 100 mg for 1 to 12 months. In the current study, randomization was stratified by acute coronary syndrome, N equaling 777, versus chronic coronary syndrome, N equaling 729. 
the primary bleeding endpoint at 12 months, occurred in 15% versus 20% among ACS patients, hazard ratio 0.73, P equaling 0.063, and in 19% versus 20% among CCS patients, hazard ratio 0.94, P equaling 0.708, with adoxaban and VKA-based therapy respectively, P for interaction equaling 0.27. The main secondary endpoint, composite of CV death, myocardial infarction, stroke, systemic embolic events, or definite stent thrombosis among ACS patients, was 8.5% versus 7.2%, hazard ratio 1.16, compared with 4.4% versus 4.9%, hazard ratio 0.91, among CCS patients with adoxaban and VKA-based therapy respectively. P for interaction equaling 0.5573. Frank et al. conclude that in patients with AF who underwent PCI, the adoxaban-based regimen as compared to the VKA-based regimen provides consistent safety and similar efficacy for ischemic events in patients with AF regardless of their clinical presentation. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Renato Lopez from the Dukes University School of Medicine in Durham, North Carolina, USA, and Alexander Fanaroff from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, USA. The authors note that for now, in the 12 months after PCI, the current evidence is clear that patients with AF should be treated with NOAC plus a P2Y12 inhibitor, regardless of indication for PCI. Cardiac death is the most common cause of death in Europe. Approximately half of those deaths occur because of sudden cardiac death out of hospital. Recent articles have shown that the outcomes of witness cardiac arrest have improved due to greater emphasis on resuscitation training, increased density of automatic external defibrillators, better organisation of emergency medical systems and improved post-resuscitation care. There has also been reassuring information about the quality of life and functional outcomes after successful resuscitation from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, or OOHCA. However, it is still unusual to see greater than 10% of the victims leaving the hospital alive. In a clinical research article entitled A Practical Risk Score for Early Prediction of Neurological Outcome After Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, Miracle 2 by Nilesh Parikh and colleagues from King's College Hospital NHS Foundation Trust in London, United Kingdom, who sought to develop a practical risk score to predict poor neurological outcome after OOHCA. From May 2012 to December 2017, 1,055 patients had OOHCA in their region, of whom 373 patients were included in the King's Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest Registry, or the KOKAR. The authors performed prediction modelling with multivariable logistic regression to identify predictors of the primary outcome to derive a risk score. This was externally validated in two independent cohorts, comprising of 473 patients. The primary outcome was poor neurological function at six months follow-up, Cerebral performance category 3 to 5. Seven independent predictors of outcome were identified. Missed or unwitnessed arrest, 
initial non-shockable rhythm, non-reactivity of pupils, age, which was 60 to 80 years, one point, or greater than 80 years, three points, changing intra-arrest rhythms, low pH, less than 7.2, and epinephrine administration, two points. The Miracle 2 score had an AUC of 0.90 in the development and 0.84 to 0.91 in the validation cohorts. The Miracle 2 score had significantly superior discrimination than the OOHCA and the CAHP models, an equivalent performance with the TTM score. The authors conclude that the Miracle 2 is a practical risk score for early accurate prediction of poor neurological outcome after OOHCA, which has been developed for simplicity of use on hospital admission. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Christopher Granger from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA, and Carolina Hansen from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. The authors note that for now, the Miracle 2 score is an effective tool for assessing longer-term outcomes for patients with cardiac arrest presenting to hospitals providing primary PCI for acute myocardial infarction. However, they propose it should not be used as the sole factor to decide who should have aggressive care withheld. It can be included as one of several parameters to identify the unusual patient who may have such a low chance of good recovery at presentation that limiting care may be appropriate. The greatest need now is to develop tools to predict futile care for those with persistent coma several days after arrest. The issue is accompanied by discussion forum contributions. In a contribution entitled, Biomarkers in Inherited Arrhythmias, Opportunities for Validation and Collaboration. Robert Hamilton from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada and colleagues comment on the recent publication, A Highly Specific Biomarker for Brigada Syndrome, Also Too Good to Be True? by Arthur Wilder and Elisabeth Lodder from the Academic University Medical Centre in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Wilder et al. respond in a separate comment. In a discussion forum contribution entitled, Is the clinical benefit of primary prevention implantable cardioverter defibrillator overestimated? The role of sudden cardiac death to total mortality ratio. Marcello Di Sattori and colleagues from the Santa Chiara Hospital in Trento, Italy, comment on the recent publication Clinical Effectiveness of Primary Prevention Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillators Results of the EU CERT ICD Controlled Multicenter Cohort Study by Markus Sabel from the German Centre for Cardiovascular Research in Göttingen, Germany and colleagues. Zabel and colleagues respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.